0: Welcome to the Cal Current Podcast, presented by the Law Offices of Snell & Wilmer. This is a legal podcast that examines a variety of current legal issues that affect individuals and businesses here in California and beyond. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Jeff Morton, a partner in the San Diego office of Snell & Wilmer. For this episode of CalCurrent, I will be discussing freedom to operate or FTO issues as they relate to mRNA vaccines. One of the few bright spots of the COVID-19 pandemic has been the speed with which mRNA vaccines against the virus have been developed. Clinical trials of Moderna's mRNA vaccine began in March 2020, just a few days after the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 to be a pandemic. Moderna had actually developed its vaccine within days of receiving the genetic sequence of the SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes COVID-19. It was ready for human trials within two months. However, this new way of bringing vaccines to market has big intellectual property or IP implications, especially when it comes to the minefield that is freedom to operate or is what is commonly called FTO. Today's episode will initially describe key aspects of mRNA vaccine technology. And we'll then discuss some central factors that are important to consider for FTO purposes. Vaccines work by teaching the body's immune system to recognize a virus as a foreign threat so that it can rapidly mobilize immune defenses against it in the event of a subsequent infection. Vaccine-induced immunological memory is similar to that caused by catching and then overcoming a disease. However, vaccines induce an immunological response without infection, by presenting the immune system with a weakened or inactive form of the virus or with an inert fragment of it. mRNA vaccines deliver an mRNA sequence that codes for part of a virus, for example the so-called spike protein of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, to some of the body cells and those cells then translate or manufacture the virus fragment to thereby induce an immunological response. One of the main advantages of mRNA vaccines over older vaccine platforms is that the mRNA molecule itself can be rapidly synthesized from chemical precursors. This is in contrast to the time-consuming and laborious process of growing live viruses for vaccines in chicken eggs, as is still common for influenza vaccines. This means that mRNA vaccines can potentially be modified against new viral strains as they emerge, for example, with respect to the recent Omicron strain mRNA vaccines also avoid the potential risks of other modern vaccine platforms, such as DNA vaccines. With DNA vaccines, there is a risk that the exogenous DNA could integrate into the cell's genomic DNA, potentially resulting in cancer or other unwanted side effects. In contrast, mRNA does not enter the cell nucleus, and thus there is no risk of it integrating into the genome. Vaccine development experts have appreciated the potential to rapidly develop mRNA vaccines against novel viral disease threats for several years but realization of this potential during the covid 19 pandemic was in part possibly due to developments in two biomedical technologies initially developed for other applications lipid nanoparticles also known as lnps and chemically modified rna Given that mRNA vaccines utilize a combination of technologies developed for use in biomedical applications other than vaccines, such as modified RNA and LNPs, it is essential that users of this technology consider freedom to operate or FTO issues. At its most fundamental level, FTO involves an analysis of a product that is being developed or marketed by a given company to determine whether it infringes existing third-party patent rights. In the absence of FTO, a company may be developing technology that, upon completion, results in a patent infringement lawsuit. Accordingly, it's common for companies of all sizes and in nearly any area of technology to carry out an appropriate FTO analysis to determine whether there is freedom to operate or whether IP licenses will need to be acquired in order to prevent downstream patent litigation. An FTO analysis generally consists of three broad steps. Firstly, a desired product is described. Secondly, a search for potentially relevant patents and pending patent applications is conducted, and a list of results is compiled. Finally, the scope of the issued or pending claims of the potentially relevant patents or applications is compared against the putative specifications of the desired product in order to gauge the risk of proceeding in the development of that product. As just mentioned, a typical first step in conducting an FTO analysis is to adequately describe the existing or hypothetical specifications of the desired product against third-party patent rights. Without an adequate description, it will be much more difficult to both generate suitable search results and also to provide a useful legal analysis of how such search results might affect the product. This description requires a fine balance between describing the product in broad terms and including sufficient detail so that a meaningful comparison can be made between the product and identified third-party patents. As such, utilizing many of the drafting techniques that patent preparation and prosecution teams use in preparing patent applications can be very useful. A critical aspect of any FTO analysis is defining the relevant search strings. This requires a balance between breadth and granularity. If the search terms are too broad, the number of third-party search results will be so high that no meaningful analysis can be carried out within the time and budget constraints of the project. Conversely, if the search terms are too granular, there's a danger that potentially relevant results may be overlooked, resulting in a false sense of security. Continuing with the example of a COVID-19 mRNA vaccine, one would not typically start with FDO search terms that are so broad that they would encompass all vaccines similarly one would not typically start with narrow searches that are focused solely on one aspect of the technology involved for example a specific sequence or a specific mrna chemical modification as this may yield no search results at all especially if those features are truly novel as such many practitioners in this space focus on searches that result in a so-called goldilocks number of search hits perhaps two to five hundred which provides some level of confidence that the searches are both sufficiently broad and yet meaningfully focused on the product in question. With the product in question adequately described and search results obtained, a comparison is made between the third-party patent claims and the product in question. One challenge in making such a comparison is assessing the potential scope of a claim from its wording. The general presumption is that the language in the claim carries its ordinary and customary meaning among artisans of ordinary skill in the relevant art at the time of the invention. Ultimately, this analysis should be done by a skilled and experienced patent attorney. It is often better to consider an FTO analysis as an ongoing process rather than an isolated event. One reason for this is that new patents may issue or new relevant patent applications may publish after the initial search. This is especially true in the case of a nascent, rapidly expanding technology, such as the field of mRNA vaccines. As with so many intersections of law and biotechnology, every client and every product is different. The foregoing outlines a representative example of the complexity of a new life science system, namely a COVID-19 mRNA vaccine, and the intricate issues that need to be thought of when old FTO considerations come into play. While each FTO scenario will understandably be different, Common hallmarks of a sound FTO will almost always include a comprehensive understanding of the relevant technology, a systematic and thorough search strategy, and a thoughtful legal analysis of the search results. In discussing this topic today, I wish to note that much of the foregoing was recently published in a written article that appeared in the British journal I.M. and was co-authored with a good friend of mine, Dr. Thomas Eric, a Hatch-Waxman litigator based in Chicago. With that, we've come to the end of this episode of CalCurrent. I've been your host, Jeff Morton, and I appreciate you taking the time today to listen. Thank you for listening to CalCurrent, a weekly podcast navigating California's legal landscape brought to you by the law offices of Snell and Wilmer. Do you have a topic you would like to discuss? Please feel free to send us your topics to calcurrent at swlaw.com. Be sure to check out our website for more episodes and information about this podcast. We can also be found on all major social media platforms at SW Law News. Thank you, and until next time...